Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of The Literary Lobby. Today, it's just me, Maria Zupardi, and I'm so happy to be interviewing our very first author on today's episode. So if you're a writer looking for advice on getting published in whatever capacity that is, then you're going to want to stick around and listen to the wise words of Patricia Westerhoff. Hi, Patricia. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today um, for this podcast episode. We're very happy to be featuring you. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you do for a living or all of that stuff? All right. My name is Patricia Westerhoff, and I write fiction and nonfiction. My latest book is The Canadian Guide to Creative Writing and Publishing, and I teach creative writing as well. Amazing. Where do you teach creative writing out of curiosity? At University of Toronto's School of Continuing Studies. Oh, cool. So anyone can kind of just sign up for that and basically learn from the best in the industry is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I would have put it like that with the last <laughs> part, but yes, anyone is welcome. And it's usually a, a wonderful and diverse group of people in, in each of the classes. Oh, that's amazing. Love to hear that. All right. I have some questions um, I want to get through and then maybe a few bonus questions if we have time. Um, so my first question, why did you think that this book, The Canadian Guide to Creative Writing and Publishing, is so important, particularly in the Canadian market? I think this book fills a gap in the marketplace that's been around for decades. If you went out shopping to find a reference book on creative writing, if you went to a large bookstore, for example, you would find books, but they would be American. They would talk about the U.S. publishing industry and they would reference U.S. authors, places and events. And I know that the Canadian literary scene is rich and filled with opportunity but there's been little besides Google searches to inform writers about it. I also think that if I had had this book when I started getting serious about having a writing career, it would have put me five to 10 years ahead of where I am now. Wow, that's, that's crazy that, um, that this is a resource that you literally did not have when you first started writing, which is kind of sad, especially with, um, you know, the market's obviously difficult today, but even maybe like back, you know, a few years ago or whatever, like it's just, it's just been hard, I think, for everybody or for any upcoming writer, especially in Canada. <laughs> I agree. And, and, you know, so much of, of what you learn is through word of mouth you just happen upon the information you need you if you if you're lucky enough to get to know published authors in Canada then you can ask them about their agents and how they got them but otherwise you just do a google search and how do you know who's a good agent and how you might get that agent you just don't yeah wow there's so much to think about um when wanting to get published in this industry um, so my next question, because your book is such, as we've already basically mentioned, is a really fabulous resource um, to the Canadian market. You dedicated your book to your creative writing students. Um, what have you learned from your years as a teacher that might have inspired you in this book? Two things jump to mind. The first is that creative writing can be taught and learned. 
no one is born a writer, just like no one's born a concert violinist. <laughs> Some people acquire this skill more quickly, more easily, and more completely. So I do think there is talent involved, but no one is born knowing how to write creatively. So you can learn to become a more creative thinker and you can learn how to revise your work and, and what even, what does revision mean? What is the work of revision? So I've had years of reading students' drafts and noticing what were those common problems that would hold them back if they were pursuing publishing. And I also realized that when someone is shown what makes good writing good, when they can examine models and when they learn the tools to edit their work, their work gets better. So that fact inspired me to write down some of what I teach in my classes, the material that moves writers forward and makes their writing more interesting and more polished. And then the, the second way that my interactions with students inspired what I put in this book was just by listening to the questions that my students asked over and over. I paid attention to what they knew and what they didn't know, especially about the publishing industry and how to pursue publication. You know, things like the differences between querying for fiction or nonfiction, whether or not you need an agent to get published in Canada, what literary magazines you should submit to, and so on. Um, I realize that writers need to know some warnings as well, like about publishing scams in contests and in the self-publishing world. And I and things like like publishing online, you know, should you publish online? What are the dangers of doing that? So listening to my my students' questions really helped inform me about what to put in. Um, and and uh, what to leave out. And we talked about my my students um, in the continuing education program at University of Toronto. They are intelligent, well-educated and talented. Um, and yet there were things regularly that they didn't know, just as I didn't know those things when I was a beginning or even an emerging author. You know, actually, to tell you the truth, I learned a lot of things when I was writing this book that I didn't know before about the publishing industry. Wow, that's amazing. So you learned while writing the book, um, which you wrote as a way to help people in the industry. I love that. <laughs> um, all right, so let's pretend I'm one of your students. I just finished your course. I wrote this amazing manuscript that could be potentially the next Giller Prize winner. Probably not, but you know, I guess everyone can learn writing, um, as you say. <laughs> but what is the first thing that I should do with my finished manuscript? Well, start by patting yourself on the back because most people start projects but don't finish them. So I think, the, you know, celebrate your success. That's amazing. And then put it away for a few days or better yet, a week. I find that for most people, the first reaction when they just finish something is either they love it or they hate it. And both of those reactions are, are incomplete. And it's better to leave it alone for a week. And then you can look at it with the eyes of a reader. 
you have a bit of distance, a little more objectivity, and you can see what's, what needs tweaking. And maybe an analogy would be something like if you were you know, decorating a gym for a party and you had your eyes up in the rafters, taping streamers and that kind of thing. And then you leave the gym for a little while and then you come back in to see how does it look? Where do you need to adjust things? And you need that perspective on a manuscript before you're ready to see what needs improving. All right. And after I improve my manuscript, um, I guess the next best thing would be either to submit sections or like little excerpts, I guess, to literary magazines and then try to get an agent that way if you want to go that route. Yeah, I would say there's a step before that, which would be to get feedback from other um, from critique partners. Um, Again, not too soon, but I think you we all need to hear from critique partners or beta readers or editors um, before we should be submitting it to an editor or an agent. And again, you know, you need, you need time. You shouldn't send it out the first day when we just, when we just complete something, really all we want to hear is bravo. And (laughs) what we need to hear is it's good, but I think you can improve it. Right. Look at me. I was just trying to skip steps and get all the way to the ending line. Um, well, instead and of too many people do steps. that, right? Too, too many people do that. Um, I think in the book, I, I quote um, Catherine Hernandez, who who uh, talks about the advice that she got from Farzana Doctor. And, and Catherine says, don't submit anything unless it's ready to be seen. Earlier in my career, I probably wasted some publishing interns hours reading my work only to have it sent to the slush pile. Only when I gave myself time to learn my craft, to seek mentorships, to build my voice, did my work flourish. Wow, that needs to be like on a poster somewhere, like in the background of some author's Zoom meetings or something. That's really great advice. (laughs) So yes, definitely don't do what I clearly just suggested and try to go the publishing route definitely take the time as Patricia said to really clean up your manuscript and get it ready for submission um speaking of writing actually you kind of just touched on this so let me get to my next question then uh, because you have a chapter in your book called using critique partners editing groups and beta readers why do you think writing communities are so important and what are your suggestions for somebody to find one that fits them yeah it takes a lot of experience to be able to read your drafts as a reader to put yourself in the reader's shoes and to know where they're going to feel engaged or where they might get confused or bored. And beginning writers, actually not not just beginning writers, most of us writers need people to read their drafts and, and to tell them what that experience is like. And again, the shoes of a reader saying things like, here I got confused. I think this is a mistake in the geography or in the timeline. Or, you know, this part gave me goosebumps. This made me laugh out loud. I lost interest. I don't see what's at stake. This character rubbed me the wrong way. Like all of those are the examples of the reader's experience um, that 
that we don't necessarily know ourselves as authors. And getting that feedback from a critique partner or a beta reader, it enables you to solve the problems before you send your draft to the editor or the agent. You can fix those problems before they're the reason that your work gets rejected. So it's important then to, to find one that fits. And, you know, that's important. We all, like getting feedback can be hard. We know that from getting <laughs> feedback from workplaces or our personal lives that it can be an uncomfortable process. Yeah. So you need to find people who do that balance between pointing out what's working well and what could be improved. You know, people who are supportive and positive and also people who tailor their comments to the stage that your writing is at. And some of this is how, how you, the author, set up that your questions and guide that editing process. You know, I think you can, if you just hand your draft to someone and say, here, read this and tell me what you think, that's probably unwise. It's much better to say, this is a first draft. I want your reaction to whether you find this character sympathetic and if there's anything confusing. Or you can say, this is a next to final draft. I'm planning on sending this out next week. I want you to scrutinize it line by line, point out everything you notice that you think I could make better. Wow, this interview is basically just confirming that I know nothing about writing and editing because I didn't realize all of this work goes into even or should go into um, even before you submit a book to a publisher or like to an agent or something. So I guess we're all learning a lot today. <laughs> well, I, um, I suspect that a lot of people don't do that work before they submit to agents and editors, because when you talk to them, you know, the, 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 that's the reason that most mm. books are rejected. And, you know, what is it? It's over 90% that, of that are rejected. Wow. Oh, wow. That's a big number. And then you get the 10% just fighting for marketing budgets and companies and publicity reviews and all things like that. Wow. Those are really interesting numbers. Um, speaking of numbers and marketing budgets, uh, you basically took about two chapters of your book to discuss publishing with an independent publisher, which is what we are here at Dundurn Press, versus a large publisher. So like think the big five, HarperCollins, Penguin, all of those people. Can you briefly discuss the merits or maybe even possible downsides of both briefly? Absolutely. The analogy I used in the book was that if you publish with a large press, you're setting up off on a vast cruise ship with hundreds, if not thousands of employees in dozens of departments. And you might not get to know some of the staff well, but you will be in, well, you might get to know some of the staff well, sorry, but you will be in so many different people's hands as the book goes through the production process that you might not. The independent press is more like a chartered yacht with a small collaborative <laughs> staff and Dun Dundurn is definitely like that. Uh, you get to know people. And in both cases, your manuscript will receive the attention it needs, but with the smaller company, I think that the author receives more attention. Uh, the author might have more of a say in, in producing 
the book, some facets of its design, plans for promoting and marketing the finished product. So those are some of the, the benefits of um, working with an independent press. Also, you can submit directly to an independent press without an agent. The benefits of a large press are that they have large resources. So they're going to do bigger print runs in most cases. They've got great distribution. Your books are likely to be in more bookstores and stay there longer. They'll have more money for publicity and marketing and they'll give larger advances. Some independent presses don't give authors advances against sales at all anymore, I've heard. But um, I just wanna qualify that by saying that, that um, big companies, those big five produce a lot of books and they give each one a limited time to earn back its production costs, usually about six months. And then after that, they move on to the new books that they're publishing. So your book gets a short time to make a splash. And after that, they may lose interest in it. Whereas independent presses give their books more time. Yeah, wow. I didn't realize that that is such a limited time frame. Because like even right now with... Um... Like it's February as we're recording this. So we've got Black History Month going on. Like I'm always looking at those backlist books to promote because, you know, we've got stock of them. So why not promote them or other Black authors? Or in May, we have uh, Asian Heritage Month coming up, you know. So I always have these opportunities to to dive into our backlist and like, you know, kind of just re-promote them. But yeah, I don't really see that happening too much at big five companies unless it's like obviously a well-known author or book that's previously like a bestseller or something. <laughs> that's right. I think I, the analogy I used um, in the book was that the the relationship with the independent press is like a marriage. The relationship <laughs> with the large press is like an affair. Wow. I love that. So basically you're all four independent publishers in Canada. Yes. Yeah, I think I, was... I am. I mean, another benefit to authors is that um, we have, I don't know, about 200 independent presses in Canada, and they they definitely vary in their reputations. Um, so you you have to do your your homework. Um, that that's a drawback as well. That there are you know you do your homework, look up something like the Writers Union report card, and find out because there are stories of ones that aren't paying royalties. Um, or, you know, they're too small and uh, and they go out of business and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. that's a drawback. But on the other hand, that, that diversity of those independent presses means that books that would never interest one of the big five will get published by those independent presses. There are presses, for instance, that specialize only in poetry or presses that are regional and they publish books that are um, uh, that focus on the East Coast or are by East Coast writers or Northern writers. So, yeah. you know, or even different subjects, you know, books that are, are about history. Um, and so that that's great for, for a diversity of authors across Canada to have all those options open to them. Yeah, it's great that there's so many options like you said that um authors can do in terms of traditional publishing 
But moving on to self-publishing, um, it is kind of like a continuously more popular option for many writers of late, with especially with the increase in technology. Um, and you've also got platforms like Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing. What should authors know about before choosing this option? So basically, are there any pros and cons to this? Self-publishing involves a lot more work than writing a book. Wow, really? <laughs> I think that's the main thing that that writers need to know that you've got to be willing to spend as much time on the business side of writing as you do on the writing itself. And the wow. vast majority of people who self-publish don't make a profit. The people who make a profit usually already have an audience that they built from their social media or their work or another platform like a newspaper column. And some genres are better at others than attracting readers. So it's not for everyone. Some of the pros are that it's more certain you will end up with a book. Um, if you seek traditional publishing, you can spend years pursuing publication only to get turned down. It's, it's usually pretty speedy. You won't go through that query process or all the production stages. And you'll have more control over the book, the content, production, appearance, the price, the release date, even availability. And if you have profits, you'll keep a greater percentage of the profits, possibly all of the profits. So those are some advantages, but there are some pretty big disadvantages, I think, as well, which is why it's it's not it's not for everyone, or at least it's not something to do on a whim. Um, the yeah. the biggest one for me, and the reason that that I wouldn't choose self publishing. You have to take on the work of all the people in a publishing house who help with the book's production, which can cost thousands of dollars and a great deal of time. You need to pay for it up front. I mean, you can do if you're just going to produce an ebook, you know, you can do that relatively inexpensively. But if you are producing uh, a, an actual book that you're going to get in brick and mortar bookstores, which is really hard to do getting it there, <laughs> oh, but that sure. costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to have to promote all your work. You know, I have the benefit at, as a, a traditionally published author to have people helping with marketing and publicity. Self-published authors do that on their own. So they need to have the know-how um, and the time to do that. I think um, this is getting better, but but still most self-published books don't have the same quality as a book that goes through the gatekeeping and editing and design process of traditional publishers. Mm -hmm. And um, and then some other drawbacks are that you it's hard to, as I said, it's hard to get your book into brick and mortar bookstores. It's hard to get your book reviewed by known reviewers. Uh, most self-published books are, are still ineligible for, for most of the prestigious Canadian book awards. And it's still harder for self-published authors to get into some writers' organizations and to get invited to festivals and conferences. So I think it it works, it certainly works well for for some personal projects and vanity projects, the memoir for your family, for instance. And then it works well for writers 
with an entrepreneurial ambition and skill set and some kind of platform or way to reach readers. The I do know some successful self-published authors, and I know that they are, besides being writers, they are dedicated business people who spent time and money on producing a high-quality mm -hmm. book and who spend a great deal of time on promotion and marketing. That's not for everyone. It's not for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I were to wake up tomorrow and decide to write a book, it definitely won't be for me either. But we can appreciate the the people or the self-published authors who hustle out there. Um, I mean, it's still hard to get anybody to read your book, whether you're a self-published author or traditionally published. So I guess either way, no matter which way you go, as long as it works for you and you're happy, that's probably what matters the most. <laughs> well, and that's one of the the arguments people make for self-publishing is mm -hmm. that uh, these days, and this is true whether you publish with an independent or a, a large press, writers are expected to do more and more um, to promote themselves and their books. They're supposed to yeah. have a social media <laughs> presence. They're supposed to be setting up their own readings and events. And so a lot of writers are saying, if I have to do all that work anyway, then why am I not getting more of the royalties? And I can see that as well. Yeah, it's a fair argument to make, I think, for sure. Um, all right, my last question for you. Um, and then I have some bonus questions because I think we might have some time for a couple of those. Um, what is your best advice for writers who are currently submitting manuscripts to agents or editors right now? Well, I like to say that writing is an art, but publishing is a business. So do your homework. You need to know that you're competing against hundreds of other submissions and you should prepare carefully. You get one chance with each place you submit, so you really don't want to blow it, especially if you're submitting to agents. There are only 30 agents or so in Canada, so you need to do your research before you send out your query letter. There are, I said there were 30 agents, but there are fewer literary agencies and um, it's, it's not really okay to submit to more than one agent in an agency. So you that cuts down your chances wow. as well. So you really need to figure out who's a good fit for you and your manuscript. And, and you do that, you know, by starting probably months before you're ready to submit. You're going to follow agents on social media, read their websites, find out what other authors they represent, what kind of books they champion. And I think it's the same with editors especially if you're querying directly to independent presses, you need to find out um, what kinds of books does that independent press produce? Uh, what are their interests? So that way you can personalize your query letter. You have to know who you're writing to. And then with that query letter, you have to spend time writing a really powerful query letter. There, no one's going to, you can't have your, assume that your writing sample is going to speak for itself because the agent or the editor won't even look at your sample if the query letter doesn't catch their attention. An analogy would be like that query letter is like your profile on a dating app and it will make them swipe left or right. So it really 
needs to compel them to want to look at your writing sample. And then that manuscript needs to be amazing. It needs to be complete because if they ask for it, you can't say, oh, well, I just need two months, you know, to polish it and then I'll get it to you. You need to send it while they still remember that they asked for it. And uh, most professional writers put every manuscript through multiple revisions. So that's probably necessary before you're even ready to query an agent so that you've gotten that feedback and you make sure your manuscript is as ready for publication as you can make it. I think again of the quote I read by Catherine Hernandez here about, you know, the mistake that that she and I think all of us have made that we we think we're ready only to meet with rejection. Wow. So basically it's a tough world for authors out there, but keep going because eventually you'll get it right. That's basically what I'm hearing, right, Patricia? Yeah, I'm really glad you have bonus questions because this is kind of a depressing <laughs> yeah. place to end. Rejection comes with the territory and writers do need a thick skin and you do need to persevere. Well, lucky for everybody listening to this podcast episode right now, because I'm the only one here, um, I didn't get a chance to run these questions by Alyssa and Rajdeep, but I'm just going to go in right for the somewhat scandalous two bonus questions that I have. So, um, Patricia, if you're ready. Yes. Um, because this morning, honestly, I was doing, I was going through our author contracts um, I was arranging for author copies to be mailed out through our distributor. That's a job that somebody has to do, and that's mine here at Dundurn. So because I'm in this contracting mood, is there something that first-time authors should really watch out for in their contracts, should they reach that stage with the publisher? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think my advice would be to look at the entire contract. I think that first-time authors can be so thrilled that they're getting a contract yeah. and offer at all <laughs> that they're really quick to sign and it's important to see what are you what are the rights that you are signing away i also think that people can focus on the advance and that that's you know yeah of course it's lovely to get money up front but you want to think about the long run and it's not only about the advance or the royalties. It's also about, like I said, the rights that you're signing away. So does that mean that authors should keep or maybe explore their options? Because I know like with any contract now, like you have audio rights and film rights. Is that something authors should kind of hold on to or should they trust their publisher with that? So it it really depends. It really depends on the kind of book and whether you you think you know it it's going to lend itself to certain kind of sales or sales in certain areas. Um, so to to make an answer about uh, that that is general about that is pretty hard to do. But I strongly recommend you know that people get help with this. And if yeah. you don't have an agent and you are negotiating your contract yourself you know you can you can get one-time help you can hire people i think the writers union has a list of people who are willing to look at contracts and help you with it and it's it's really smart to do that and and as i said you know i think 
I certainly felt this when I got my first book accepted for publication that, um, and I got two offers on it. And um, even so, I, I was so eager to get it published that it never really <laughs> occurred to me to get help in looking over it. See what I said earlier? I really could have used this book in the early yeah. days. <laughs> oh, well. well, that's great. Good to know, because I've always wondered, I don't know, contracts is also a part of the industry that I'm like a little interested in, but then I never, like, I don't see it at all, like what happens behind the scenes. So it's always interesting to me. Um, all right. So my last bonus question slash scandalous question, depending on how you answer, I say go for it, Patricia. Um, what can agents and publishers do to better support authors? Since you've been published like quite a lot um, and you've seen a lot of your colleagues and friends get published, um, you know, all the stories. So what can this industry do to support authors better? Um, I think, I think, that the the i think that writers feel a great deal of pressure to promote their own work and set up readings and events and sometimes can feel like they are responsible for yeah. selling their own book these days uh, i think that's become a, a lot more uh, it's become worse in the last decade and there's less and less funds available for things like a book launch. You know, book tours are things of the past. It's hard to get books reviewed. So I, I think that's probably the complaint I've heard the most from writers that, uh, and the biggest change in the last decade that um, more and more writers can feel like they're on their own. You know, they wrote yeah. the book and they have to sell it even though they're giving away uh, a huge chunk of the profits on the book. Yeah, I mean, especially with what you've said before in this episode and how much of a long process that this is. Um, yeah, I, I can totally, I, can, I get author sentiments for sure. <laughs> All right, is there anything, Patricia, that you'd like to say? Any final comments before I wrap this episode up? Just that, you know, some of probably some of what I've said is can sound kind of discouraging because it is hard out out there and yeah. uh, it takes a lot of work to get your manuscript polished and then to get it published. But I also know and have seen with my own creative writing students that it is very possible to get your work out to an audience, that there are many opportunities in Canada, both with beautiful literary journals that you know every every issue is just filled with art and good quality writing and then with all of the presses in canada that there are many opportunities to find an audience for your work so i encourage people to persevere in spite of some of the difficulties and challenges all right we love to hear it patricia um, thank you everyone for joining us for today's Literary Lobby episode. If you're interested in finding out more about getting published in Canada, get yourself a copy of the Canadian Guide to Creative Writing and Publishing 
by Patricia Westerhoff on our website, dunder.com, or at your favorite local bookstore. I will be sure to leave all of the information and Patricia's social media links in the episode description below so you can easily find what you're looking for. Don't forget to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dunder Press. And make sure you rate and review this podcast and give the Literary Lobby a follow so you don't miss out on the next episode. 